Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Ron, it's great the Cubs got the sweep. I want to ask you though about the Pete Alonso home run. 429 <laughs> feet according to Statcast. No way it was that 429. Who is the who is the guy running Statcast that day? Snoop Dogg? I mean, <laughs> seriously. I mean, come on. Fun if Snoop Dogg ran that cast. That'd be real fun. Rami Makhlouf in for Matt Spiegel. Hit and run. 670 the score. And that Odyssey app. And joining us now, you just heard him right there, MLB StatCast writer. Also, he'll be part of the alternate cast of Braves and Phillies, along with Jason Benetti, Eduardo Perez tonight on ESPN2. Pleasure to welcome in Mike Petriello. Mike, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. I want to talk some bigger picture baseball stuff and, and how this season has gotten off to a start. But first, let me bring you in on the, the conversations we've had about the two teams here in town. And, and and I'll start with the Cubs. And Mike, I'm just not sure if if I should if I should let them pull me back in, if I'd be a fool to jump on the Cubs bandwagon, because I just don't know if this this good play we've seen recently is sustainable. Namely, the long ball isn't happening. Their last 16 hits have all been singles, and they're just sort of playing old-school, station-to-station, 90 feet at a time baseball. Is this something that the Cubs can keep up, or do you think that this is a bit of a mirage that we're all seeing right now? I think it depends a lot on what, whether you're interested, I guess, in winning or what kind of style of baseball you like. Because if you're into baseball from, like, 1975, you're probably loving this, right? Like Everybody's, <laughs> like, you know, moving the guys along and playing small ball. And don't get me wrong, I, I agree there's too many strikeouts in baseball right now. Um, I don't think you can win long-term like this. You know, like, if you look at over the last two years, five years, 100 years, the team that hits more homers in a game wins about 77% of the time. You know, and obviously there are guys on this team with power. I think we all expect that Jock Peterson would have more than one home run right now. You know, and some of the guys are, are doing a little better than expected, Chris Bryant, certainly. But when I look at this team, I it's still early enough in the season. What I try to do is just kind of look back at what I thought about them before the year. You know, and is there anything I've seen so far that is like meaningfully different to me and not just like a small sample size thing. And I think the one thing that is meaningfully different to me is I'm in on Chris Bryant. Like I think this is a real thing. He's gonna have a great year. And then some of the other stuff I was concerned about is kind of come to you know come out to play like I was very worried about this starting rotation um, except for I thought Kyle Hendricks would be better than he is I was worried about some of the guys rebounding like I you know you look at Peterson he's never hit lefties he was never going to hit like he did in spring training and obviously he's been a little worse than that the one thing they have in their favor is that the central is still a mess and I don't think anyone's going to run away with this division so do they have a shot yes is it going to happen if they're just hitting singles uh no let me put a positive spin on it. This this small ball that they're playing right now, 
let's say that the power does come back and gets somewhat consistent. Isn't this if they can keep play, if they can keep that club in their bag of moving ninety feet at a time when the home runs aren't coming, but find the power, find the the, the home run ball. Could this be a more complete offense than we've seen from the Cubs since 2016? I think that's definitely true. It just that feels somewhat unlikely. I mean, you know, hitting singles and hitting home runs are not completely unrelated things. I mean, you could hit more singles if you didn't try to hit the ball quite as hard. You know, you'd lose some value. I, I don't really see this offense as being the kind of team that can do all of it. And there's few teams that can do that. You know, the Dodgers at their best, I think, are capable of doing that, making a lot of contact and hitting for power. Um, maybe one or two other clubs, but this team is it's just not built like that. And I appreciate that when they're not hitting home runs, they're working on other things because the small ball adds value. No, no argument there. But I just I don't see that they're going to be magically for the rest of the season a small ball team and a powerful team. You know that just that doesn't happen very often. Mike, let me ask you a question that I will I will preface by saying even in your infinite baseball wisdom, you might not have the answer to because if you did, you might be in a front <laughs> office right now. And it's this. And and it's not just this season, but I think Cubs fans are a little bit befuddled and beside themselves to look at this last four or five year span. We, you know, we look at Chris Bryant and we go, that's a good baseball player. We look at Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez and even and Ian Happ and, and we go, these are good baseball players. And I don't think we're wrong in that assessment, yet somehow, some way, they keep falling short of expectations. How do we wrap our heads around that, Mike? We're not wrong about them being good baseball players, are we? And yet this team never has hasn't gotten back to where they were in twenty sixteen. No, you're you're absolutely right about that. I do think there's part of me that looks back at that 16 season and says that was like, in some sense, a magical one-time only thing. You know, like everything had to go right to get to that point. And for obviously, you know, understandable reasons, they've had to trade away a decent part of the farm system to get there. You know, they they traded for Chapman and that cost them Torres, who might be playing middle infield. And I know not that year, but later on, they traded for Eloy Jimenez, who could be adding power in the outfield. And you, you understand why, obviously. But I I do think... This is sort of the other side of that. I also think, you know, it's been, what, five years now since that World Series. Like, it's not usual that teams keep cores, you know, for that long. We heard what Theo Epstein said before he left that, you know, maybe they were overdue for some changes. And when you look at at the players who are still there, who were there then, like, which one of their career paths is the most surprising? Like, Rizzo, aside from last year, is been a pretty consistently good player um brian has been good when he's been healthy that's always the thing and the more i think about Baez, the more i think maybe that one great year was kind of the outlier and this is sort of who he is now you know so there were obviously other things they could have done they didn't do a whole lot to improve the team this winter which is pretty disappointing i think to everybody um they traded away darvish and they don't have really anyone who throws that hard in the rotation except for maybe like alzalei this was not a team that was set up to really defend the division title that well this year, and I think that's what you're seeing. I'm talking with Mike Petriello, MLB.com. Catch him on the alternate stat cast uh, showing of Braves and Phillies tonight along with Jason Benetti on ESPN2. Let's let's move over to this White Sox team and and the conversation that we were having before we brought you on, Mike, and and I was getting quite a bit of pushback, including from from my producer, Sean Anderson, and, and just asking the question, have we maybe been too hard on Tony La Russa? And, and I'm not making excuses for him not knowing that rule earlier this week. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't decisions that you can point to, and, and Sean did, of two or three games where you could say maybe Tony La Russa cost him a baseball game. But just 30,000-foot view, big picture, 
this team has dealt with some some pretty serious, substantial injuries so far this year. And you turn around and, and you're looking at an 18 and 13 ball club with the largest run differential in baseball, with the lowest ERA in baseball. And if if I just told you everything that that Larusa and the White Sox would be facing, and that's the end result after 31 games, I think most people would be pretty pleased with that, wouldn't they, Mike? I agree with you for sure, especially when you factor in the guys who aren't there, right? Like Menez and Luis Robert and everybody else. I, I think you can give credit for a couple of things. Obviously, being in first place with the injuries, certainly. And I have a lot of respect for the fact that he's continually stood up after those issues and taken the responsibility for them, you know, and said, this is on me. I made a mistake. I'm not going to let it happen again. Like, that's that's great. That's exactly what you want to hear from a manager, not throwing his players under the bus. But it's... I don't know. It's concerning. Like when he came in, everybody was worried whether he, you know, relate to the young players and all that. And so far, from what I can tell, that hasn't been an issue whatsoever. So that's that's credit to him. But if you think about his career as a manager, like what was he always famous for? You know, he was the guy on top of everything. You know, he knew all the rules. He was in charge of everything. He was ahead of the game. And, you know, once or twice, okay, big deal. But now it's like he didn't know a rule. That's That's kind of rough. And it's not just that kind of stuff with the rules. It's also like you know, letting Billy Hamilton, who cannot hit, like hit in big situations when you've got pinch hitters on the bench, letting starters go deep into games. Like it's a lot of strategy from 10 or 12 years ago. And I think he has absolutely earned the right to say, okay, I've, I've, I've made some mistakes and I've, I'm going to wear those and we're going to do better going forward. Because I think that's absolutely possible, possible, you know, based on his track record, based on the talent that's here. But I certainly understand why White Sox fans are, you know, kind of uh, up in arms a little bit over this because it's happened a couple times now. Yeah, Mike, and and what I was saying was not that, well, we can definitively say today Tony La Russa was the right hire, but I also don't think we can definitively say today he was the wrong hire, which a lot of people do want to say. What I said to, to Sean and what I said to Sox fans when we were having that discussion is, for, for all your concerns, we, we won't know if those are legit concerns and he he's lacking in those areas that you think he might be lacking until it's too late, and we won't know if, if these, these potential positive outcomes and him learning this team and learning from his mistakes we won't know that until it's too late but but in a in a good sense either way I just think it's way too early to to say we know what kind of manager Tony La Russa will be for this White Sox club yeah I would agree with you on that I think part of it too that you know maybe the fans weren't happy about is just how it was reported that the process went where it was very clearly right. this was a, right. an ownership hire not the front office so much and that's is that the process you want where everything's supposed to be so collaborative and Rick Hans obviously said all the right things about that clearly, but I, I just don't think, you know, there's not a great history of like ownership decisions and in, in rosters and managers paying off, but I, I agree with you. Otherwise, you know, we're going to see how this plays out. I'm talking with Mike Petriel, MLB Statcast writer for MLB.com. How about this white Sox pitching staff, 25 and a third consecutive scoreless innings. Now in their last five games, longest streak, by starting pitchers since going back to 2010, I mentioned lowest ERA in the American League. We we have to expect some some regression, right? Like this is this is otherworldly what we've seen from this White Sox team. But how much of it is sustainable? How much regression or falling back to earth should we expect from this starting staff? You're certainly not endless scoreless innings, but this this rotation is just so fascinating to me because. Uh, on one hand, like, I am so in on the Carlos Rodon story. You know, like, everything about it seems sustainable and real, and his velocity's up, and, you know, as far as, like, a, a really cool story coming back from what he's been through. But it, it was funny the other day. It seemed like he really didn't rely on his slider that much, you know, and that's what he was known for coming up. And all of a sudden, he's just, like, pumping 97-mile-an-hour fastballs in there. So that's really cool. 
And I've never been a terribly big fan of Dylan Cease. To, so to watch him like actually start to throw strikes and harness that incredible stuff has been a lot of fun to watch. And then on the other hand, I just realized that Dallas Keuchel has like four strikeouts per nine innings, which I know he's a ground ball guy. That seems wildly unsustainable. Like I don't think you can sustain in baseball like that. So I would say pretty concerned about him. But if you'd asked me at the beginning of the season, uh, you know, what my biggest concern about the White Sox was, it was probably rotation depth because I would have said Giolito, Lynn and Keiko, that's a, that's a pretty good first three. You know, I don't have a lot of faith maybe in Cease and uh, Rodon wasn't even really on the map, you know. Um, and now you look at the team and it's like, wow, I think Keiko might be the fifth starter. That's that's pretty good, you know. So not to mention Kopech in there as well. So is it sustainable like this? No. But I'm pretty in on this being one of the, I don't know, three or four or five best rotations in baseball. What do you think is is the best role for Kopech? I, I forget who I was talking to last time I was, I was here on the score, but I said – the way I, I'm up here in Milwaukee, that's that's my weekday job, Mike. I host the afternoon show for the score's sister station, The Fan. And the way I hear people talk about Michael Kopech and the way he's he's being used by the White Sox right now and the stuff and everything else, it reminds me a lot of Josh Hader. Is is that what you think is probably the, the most effective way to use Michael Kopech at this point as sort of that secret weapon, secret ace coming out of the bullpen to get high leverage outs at any point in the game? I don't think so. I mean, I certainly see the appeal. And, you know, maybe when you get to October, if, if he's not one of your top three guys, then certainly that's an option. But, you know, long term, you want him to be a starter. You know, you don't want him in the hater role if you can avoid it. And I think he's capable of being a starter. So I, I do sort of like what they did to, you know, it had been a long time since he pitched competitively in a game. It had been several years, really. So to kind of like work him back in, just get him back on the mound, get him the, the feel of Major League Baseball again, and then kind of ease him back into the rotation. Because as much as I do like the top five starters that they've got, there is no likelihood that they're all going to stay healthy and whole for an entire right. six-month season. It's just not going to happen. You know, you need to have other guys who can pitch. And so I think that's kind of a good role for Kopech because you're certainly not going to expect after his history, he's going to go out there and give you 200 innings either. You know, you're going to need six, seven, eight, nine different starters and so I think for this year, uh, working him back in in that role, I, I like it. And then hopefully next year, you know, full speed goes as a starting pitcher. Talking with Mike Petriello, StatCast writer for MLB.com. Catch him on the StatCast broadcast of Braves and Phillies tonight, ESPN2, along with Jason Benetti. Uh, Want to get into some bigger picture baseball stuff with, with you, Mike. And, and last night... We had our fourth no-hitter of the season. That's the earliest this has happened in a calendar year since uh I don't know since a very very long time ago. I guess 1917 is what I'm looking at here. I I was blown away when I just read that number in my notes because I can't believe that that's right, but our no-hitter is becoming less impressive in in this era of of strikeouts and and very few hits and everything is either a walk a strikeout or a home run. Should should we be looking at no-hitters through a a different prism in 2021? I would say no. I would say they're still pretty cool. Now listen, if we get to the end of the year and there's been 20 different no-hitters, then maybe I'll change my tune on that. But the reason I still think they're pretty impressive, uh, two reasons really. One is that you know it, it, the quality of hitters, uh, I believe, are better than they've ever been. I know the numbers aren't there, and that's because pitchers are so dominant. But the second thing is, if you're going to get a no-hitter, uh, not a combined no-hitter, like from one guy, that means he threw a complete game and most likely a shutout. And Seeing complete games are still pretty cool, right? Like, we just don't see those as often anymore. And I, I still think it's cool when you see a guy go nine innings. I think it's especially cool when it's a shutout and a no-hitter. I think it's easier is not the right word. But maybe it's more likely now than ever to throw one just because strikeouts are up and batting average is down and everything is it's in the favor of a no-hitter. 
Uh, so I really do believe we're going to break the record. The record is seven in a season. I think we're going to break it by like August 1st. And I hope that doesn't cheapen it, but I'm excited how, to see that. How many of those will be the, the Cleveland Indians who have already been the victims of two of these four <laughs> no-hitters, Mike? Somehow all of them. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask you about was th- this new baseball, the, the, the de-juiced baseball that, that Major League Baseball is using this year. And there was a piece by Fangraphs and, and a guy who I'm sure you're familiar with. I think he does fine, fine work. Eno Saris, his, his sort of, his takeaway from this study that Fangraphs did, he, he summed up in a tweet. He said, so we got the worst possible outcome, fewer homers, but the lighter ball led to higher velocities and more movement, some more strikeouts. Sweet, as Eno puts it. Is, is, that, is that what we're getting? And, and do you think Major League Baseball, we've seen them change course with the baseballs of, of juicing them and de-juicing them a number of times over the last few years. Do you think we see yet another change as they're not getting what they hope to get out of these these less bouncy baseballs that they're using this year? Well, I think this time is a little different because I, I agree with you that changes in the ball over the last couple of years have led to an increase in homers, but from everything we know, those were you know unintentional manufacturing changes, right? This time right. it was very clearly intentional. Like they came out and said, this is what we're going to try to do. And I think the intent was if it's harder to hit a home run, then maybe batters will, you know, try to put it in play a little more, you know, to get value that way. I don't, I don't know that it's going to work that way because you have to make life harder on pitchers first. You know, like strikeouts are not coming from home runs or the shift or launch angle or anything. They're coming from the fact that every pitcher's throwing 101 miles an hour and they've got ridiculous breaking stuff. So, I, I hope we don't end up with like the worst of both worlds here, where there's not as many home runs and there's not as much offense otherwise, but. I, I like that changes are being made to try to attack the problem. I accept this change may not work out in a positive way, and that may lead to other changes, but you got to do something. Otherwise, in 10 years, we'll be at a 40% strikeout rate. Yeah, I, if if Major League Baseball really wants to cut this down, we're going to have to see some some legitimate rules changes, like some of the stuff that, that Theo Epstein is is playing around in, in some of the lower levels, right, Mike? It, that That's what's going to eventually have to happen for us to see more action on the bases, more balls in play, etc. Pitchers are just evolving too fast for hitters nowadays, and you throw in the shift and everything else that's working against offense, and it just seems like fundamental changes are going to have to be made to this sport. Am I, am I exaggerating with that statement? No, I agree with you 100%. And you're in such a tough spot, too, like as, as a sporter, right? Because you have to make rule changes in order to give hitters a better chance to make contact. Like they're not just going to be able to organically do it on their own. And yet, whenever you make any change, you have such a vocal subset of like traditional fans who are like, oh, the game hasn't changed. The game is perfect. Leave it alone. And it's like, come on, the game has changed. <laughs> like, you know, it used to be we didn't have a DH or we didn't have integrated rosters. Or if you want to go back really far, the batter could tell the pitcher where he wanted him to throw it. Like, the game always changes. And now the, the players are making these changes, uh, not through rule changes, but through the way they prepare and through the way they train. And since we've got these incredible athletes who are bigger and better and faster than before, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, okay, well, then the uh, the confines of the sport needs to change around them, whether that's a change in strike zone, moving the mound back or down, or, or limiting the number of pitchers. Or There's an endless amount of theories on what to do, but you can't just sit there and do nothing, or else we're just going to have endlessly increasing strikeouts. Do any of the experimental rules changes that they're playing with right now pique your interest and, and you think accomplish what, what baseball is trying to accomplish in this in this new era of baseball whenever these rules are implemented? 
I don't know. And that's that's why they're experimenting. What I really like what they're doing now, and this is different than when they thought about doing this two years ago, right? Because they had announced some of these changes uh, two years ago and then because of the pandemic and that never happened. But uh, originally they were going to try all these changes kind of at once. And now they're doing it separately, like one one rule change in AAA and another in AA and so on and so on. I like that a lot because it's a lot easier to identify if it worked or not if you're not trying to test multiple things at the same time, you know? So does moving the mound back give hitters more time to see the ball or does it give pitchers more time to have their breaking balls break? I, I don't know, but we're finally going to have some actual, like, actionable evidence to figure it out, and I think that's what we really need. That's Mike Petriello. You can uh, find his work at MLB.com. And tonight on the alternate cast, Braves and Phillies with Jason Benetti. They'll have the stat cast for you, along with Eduardo Perez on ESPN2. Mike, really appreciate the time and the insight, man. Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Take care. And he joins me on the Alpamani Nissan hotline, Alpamani Nissan in Melrose Park on North Avenue or APNissan.com. Quick break. And then on the other side, Patrick Mooney had a piece about the Cubs that has kept me up at night for like two, literally two weeks now. I've been thinking about this piece by Patrick Mooney and where really all this might have gone wrong for the Cubs and we didn't get this dynasty we all thought we might get. I'll talk about that right after this. Rami Makhlouf in for Matt Spiegel on 670. The score, hit and run. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink Think your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. It's hit and run on 670 The Score. Rami McLaughlin for Matt Spiegel this Sunday morning. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. Hi, Mom. Happy Mother's Day and all the moms out there, especially the baseball mom. There's probably some, probably a bunch of moms out there right now. She just should be getting pampered, flowers, getting ready to go out to brunch. But they got a Little League game that they're driving their kid to right now. They're going to sit there and pretend it's good baseball for two and a half hours while that thing just gets hurled around the field. And nobody really knows how to throw or catch or hit. But mom's going to sit there and pretend it's great. And that's what makes moms great. So happy Mother's Day to all the moms, including mine, who did just that very thing for this young man a long, long time ago. But a couple of weeks ago, and yes, this has been sticking in my craw for a couple of weeks. 
I read a piece by Patrick Mooney at The Athletic. And the headline reads, go back to Joe Madden's exit to put the Cubs' lame duck season in perspective. And not only does it put it in perspective, and he's talking about this year's lame duck season and comparing the two, but what what this got me to thinking was, is, is this where this all went wrong for this group of Chicago Cubs? This This cloud of uncertainty that's been hanging over this team for going on four full seasons now. Is that why we haven't seen them reach their full potential? Is this where this thing really started to go wrong? 312-644-6767. And I know I'm reaching way back, almost three years, to try and diagnose what went wrong here and why we didn't get more out of this core of guys than, than what we all thought we should have gotten. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I don't appreciate what the Cubs have been for the last five years. I don't need to tell you guys what we've been through as Cubs fans and one World Series is enough to fill my heart with contentment and joy for a long, long time. Much less five straight playoff appearances, bunch of division championships, three NLCS appearances. Not an easy thing to do. But that doesn't mean that there there wasn't more juice to squeeze from this leaven. I don't know if that means more World Series championships, just more competitive baseball, or whatever the case might be. But in reading this piece by Patrick Mooney that revisits that lame duck season for Joe Madden and compares it to this lame duck season for so many Cubs, it got me wondering. Because when Theo Epstein, in that offseason between 2018 and 2019, or excuse me, 2017 and 2018, said we're not running away from Joe in the least bit, we're sort of investing in improvement for this year, and that's where our focus is. And he says investing, but really what he meant to say was gambling on improvement this year, and that's where our focus is. What what Theo Epstein and the Cubs were betting on that year was that the pressure of keeping Joe Madden employed as the Cubs manager would be enough of a motivator for Joe Madden and the rest of this roster. And it and it was laid out and turned out to be a make-or-break year for the Cubs manager. And let's look at that decision for a second. Let's let's look at, at putting Joe Madden in that position, that situation, for just one second. You're two years removed from winning a World Series. You have a core of young guys in their mid to late 20s who are basically going through their developmental years here at the major league level. Theo Epstein will be the first to tell you that progress is not linear. You already got one MVP season in the World Series season of 2016 out of Chris Bryant. That year of 2018, Javi Baez finished a close second to Christian Yelich in the MVP voting. And Anthony Rizzo was as consistent and as good as you get at the first base position. And Wilson Contreras was emerging as one of the top catchers in Major League Baseball. So since since Joe Madden got to Chicago in the 2015 season, to the time that they put him in as a lame duck, make or break type of manager in 2018, he got you four playoff appearances, two NL, two NL Central Championships, two NLCS appearances, a World Series championship, an MVP season, a close to MVP season, and overall pretty good development and progress of that core of offensive players. And then you give him you Darvish, who gets hurt 
to start the year and is never really the guy that the Cubs hoped he would be. And then, of course, they move on from Joe Madden after, after the 2019 season and, and bring in David Ross. And I'm not here to say that David Ross is not a good manager, but what's followed the Cubs since they made that decision to move on from Joe Madden? All we hear about, if it's not what's happening on the field of play, is, is Chris Bryant on the trading block, or will they extend him? Is Anthony Rizzo on the trading block, or will they extend him? Is Javi Baez on the trading block, or will they extend him? Wilson Contreras. All these guys have basically, since, since Joe Madden was shown the door, been put in that same position as Joe Madden. And I don't know about you guys, and say I'm making excuses for pampered millionaire athletes if you want. I don't know about you guys. I don't like showing up to work every day with that type of uncertainty. If I like my boss, and I do, hi Mitch Rosen, if I like my boss and don't want him to lose his job, I don't know that the pressure that he might lose his job if I don't perform makes me better or worse. I don't know. I've never been put in that position. I would hope I'm better and I step up to the plate for the guy, but I think it's a case-by-case basis. It's a very human thing to, to, have to, to have to deal with and react to that type of pressure. And I can tell you right now, that I certainly would not like to walk into work every day and not know if I'm in a good place with my boss and my employer or if I might be on my way out the door any day now. We're constantly seeing studies from publications like Forbes or any other industry magazine or website about business that that will tell you that happier employees, employees with more peace of mind, are more productive employees, are better at what they do. And I can't tell you what, if any, improvements we would have seen on the field with any sort of certainty for Joe Madden or Chris Bryant or Javi Baez or Wilson Contreras or anybody else, any job security or certainty that we would have gotten with those guys going back to 2018 all the way up until now. I don't know if that results in Less strikeouts or more home runs or more wins or more NLCS appearances or more World Series. I don't know. I just know that constantly having uncertainty looming over your head when you show up to work every day, like the Cubs have had since the start of the 2019 season with their manager and their main core of players, is a lot of pressure. And maybe, maybe you say, well... You got to you got to live up to the pressure. You got to overcome the pressure. That's what you got paid for. But if you're the Cubs, a lot a lot of a lot of what being a manager or a general manager, or even the owner of a team is doing is knowing your personnel, knowing your employees, knowing your personalities, knowing what kind of human beings they are and knowing if they're how they're going to respond to that type of pressure. And I don't think the Cubs have responded very well. I'm not saying it's the whole reason that we haven't gotten every drop of juice squeezed out of this lemon that we should have. But having uncertainty hanging over your head like this Cubs team has since the end of the 2018 season, for me, is is no way to go about business and no way to expect to get the most out of your players year in and year out. I can tell you flat out, I wouldn't handle that well. 
if I didn't know if I was gonna ha- if I was gonna have a job, well, I guess I can't say have a job. All these guys were gonna have jobs. Paychecks were gonna keep coming in. But where I'd be working tomorrow or or come July, and not knowing if my boss wants to keep me around. How many of us would perform well in that position or in that situation? I don't think a lot of us would. And it didn't really dawn on me until I read this piece by Patrick Mooney, like I said, two weeks ago, that's been keeping me up about the Cubs and why they didn't necessarily hit their ceiling as a unit or haven't yet. And it's it's three, four years now of going on with some of the most important key players from your manager down to your core of young players that have had uncertainty looming over their heads for four seasons now. Do you think this is part of the reason that we can point back to as to why the Cubs haven't hit their ceiling? 312-644-6767. That's how you can call me. You can shoot a text as well. You can tweet the show at 670 score At Rami is tweeting. That's how you follow me. At R-A-M-I-E is tweeting. Is this cloud of uncertainty hanging over the Cubs the reason they haven't reached their full potential? I'm Rami Makhlouf in for Matt Spiegel on 670 the score and back right after this. Is reckoning the wrong word to assign to what's going on right now? Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to use really boring language on purpose just so I didn't get anything thrown back at me for a year. And it also tried, tried to be less verbose. That's hard for me. There's Theo Epstein back in 2019. And hey, man, I love Theo. I do. I appreciate everything he did for the Cubs organization. That does not mean he is without fault and why this Cubs team hasn't reached full potential. And it didn't dawn on me that uncertainty hanging over this team for three going on four years now, all the way back to Joe Madden's lame duck year, could be part of the reason, could be a contributing factor in why they haven't. And when you look at it, not that I don't want David David Ross as the manager of the Cubs, or I don't think he's been very good at it, but should Joe Madden have even been put in the position of a lame duck year? With three playoff appearances, a World Series, two NLCS appearances, an MVP, a near MVP, and a core of young players developing at the major league level who were all making pretty good progress. And then in that 2019 season, you sign you Darvish to be the difference, and he goes down early in the year, and Joe Madden never really gets the Cy Young-looking version of you Darvish, and that's the end of his days as the manager. And then you have Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and and Wilson Contreras, all with uncertain contract situations looming over their heads. I don't know how any certainty for this roster or for their manager translates into better baseball or more success on the baseball field, but I think it's possible that it might. How about you? 312-644-6767. You can give me a call or you can drop a, uh, a line in the text box. And the text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at RosenHyundai.com. Get to some of those texts in just a second. We're going to hear from Mike Bryant, father of Chris Bryant, coming up at the top of the hour. But Bob in Arlington Heights is on Hit and Run. What's up, Bob? Hi. Uh, I don't mean to be argumentative, particularly on Mother's Day, but um, <laughs> I, I guess I would just take the inverse of your argument that, you know, these guys – have failed to reach their potential because they're under a cloud of uncertainty. I would argue that they have re they have been under a cloud of uncertainty because they've reached, because they failed to reach their potential. And with respect to Epstein's contention that this isn't linear, I think in the Cubs case, it has been linear since 2016. It's been linear in the wrong direction, persistent, uh, persistent, decline year after year after year 
and I told your producer, I said, you know, you guys are going to consider me a blasphemer on two points. Uh, point A, I will contend to my last breath that the 2016 Cubs won the World Series in spite of Joe Madden, not because of him. And B, that, you know, after uh, Epstein hit the escape hatch and they fired uh, you know, before Epstein hit the Epstein hit the escape hatch, and after they fired Madden or didn't renew Madden, then they made the worst possible choice they could have made in terms of manager, and they decided to bring in David Ross, who has continued to let the inmates run the asylum. So I've said my piece, and I know I'm going to be in the minority on this, but uh, my view is, yeah, you're under a cloud of uncertainty because you haven't performed, and. You know, if you performed, I think the contracts might have been torn up despite, you know, the the Ricketts' protestations that they're poor. They would have come up with the money if you put up the numbers to justify it. So I'll sign off now and listen. Thanks. Appreciate the call. I don't think that's blasphemy. I think I think he makes some fine points. And and this is, I guess, a chicken or the egg type of question. Bob says that they're under a cloud of uncertainty because they haven't lived up to expectations to earn those contracts, and that very well might be. We don't know. This all goes back to human nature and how these guys react to that pressure of, of uncertainty for their manager, for themselves. But is it is it fair for guys in, in year three, which Baez and, and Bryant were, or year two, or you know, year three for Wilson Contreras, year four for Anthony Rizzo, still er, still young and still early in their major league careers to have that make or break mentality to have that prove it type of mentality or 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 condition put on them I don't know that it is I really don't and like I was saying before instead of instead of testing or challenging your guys to be the best that they can be and to reach their full potential how about just fostering their growth and putting them in a position to succeed in a position where they feel comfortable and and supported and can show up to work every day with some some degree of certainty. I think we all want that. And I, and I often say you can't compare your workplace to the world of professional sports and a major league baseball clubhouse. But I think at, at, at the end of the day, that's, that's human nature. That that's something you want in your workplace. You want to be happy. You want to like the people that you work with. You want to know that there's some degree of, of security. Nobody wants to show up to work walking on eggshells. We're all more productive when we're happy and secure and, and have some degree of certainty. That's just that's just how we all are. I think that is one area where you can say it translates from the real world and, and an everyday work setting that we all go to to a Major League Baseball clubhouse or an NFL locker room or an NBA locker room or anything else. From the 413 in the text line, uh, this says, uh, Madden was into making buddies over pushing players, view his angled post-game videos after losses, always saying how good players did. Yeah, Joe Madden is a he was a players manager. He's still a players manager. But going back to that that caller's point on on David Ross, I don't think he has let the inmates run the asylum. David Ross has been a different style of manager than Joe Madden. He's not he's not iron fist guy. He's not red ass manager like you see on the other side of town, but. He is a guy who came in and said, we're, we're going to do things differently and it's not going to be all fun and games and, and happy-go-lucky around here. I, th- I think David Ross has done a fine job as the manager of the Cubs under real trying circumstances last year, too.
I think they both have something in common, which is with different styles, and one maybe a little bit more strict than the other, Ross than, than Madden, is having having an entire clubhouse pointed in the same direction and having each other's backs. Another text that comes in from the 815, the Cubs may not have one more due in some part to their refusal to change their launch angle swings. Bryant's recent success is an example to consider. There are certainly hard and fast baseball things like that that you can point to that the Cubs could have been better at and could have done a better job of of teaching their players and, and developing into their players over the years. No doubt about that. But the human element of this, the human nature of this, certainly plays a part with the Cubs. And I don't know if it's the uncertainty looming over them that has played a part, has played a role in them not reaching their potential, but I certainly think it could be. Again, we're talking about three going on four years now where your manager and your core group of young players who are developing at the major league level have had a cloud hanging over them. They don't know if their manager will be there next season. They don't know if they'll be there next season. That's a tough thing to deal with. Let's get in Joanna, who's up uh, in Wisconsin. Joanna, you're on 670 The Score. What's up? Hi, thank you. Yes, Joanna, and, and interestingly enough, and you're talking about business culture, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. I am a physician, but I've also been in leadership of my organization and the top levels of leadership. And when I was in the leadership position, the culture started shifting, and I warned everybody I could if we do not change the culture, if we do not make it more stable, people will leave in droves. And this was before the pandemic. And the powers that be have not listened. And people, everyone I know and loved um, has left. And sure enough, we are putting our house up for sale and we are moving back to Chicago next month. Because after having been here for 13 and a half years, things have changed so much. So the culture definitely has something to do with it. And I, I agree the owners have something to do with it here for the Cubs. When you want to talk about consistency, look at Anthony Rizzo. They should have signed him before the season started. He's the team captain. He puts his heart on the line. He plays consistent baseball. And yet they came out with a contract that was totally unagreeable. So the culture has a lot to do with it here. And the, I do not believe the Ricketts are doing enough. So but that's my opinion. Thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. And I'm surprised I've been having this discussion with Cubs fans for almost 25 minutes and I haven't used the word culture. And that's 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 actually the perfect word for this conversation that we're having right now. I, I think having some security in your clubhouse or, or office or warehouse culture is is a good thing to have and ha- and and is good for for folks mindset when they show up for work on a day in day out basis. And and she brought up something a possibility that I hadn't even considered which is not not only have guys maybe not performed at as high a level as they could because of this degree of uncertainty that looms over them, but maybe even some guys are just ready to be done with it. Just ready to move on and go, and go work somewhere else like Joanna is. Maybe, and, and she talked about Anthony Rizzo and, and him not getting what, what she feels is due or deserved or just in terms of the contract offer that they gave him based on the performance he's given them since coming up to the major leagues. Man, if I'm Chris Bryant, and I, I, I came up here, I won Rookie of the Year, I won MVP, and was the driving force of an offense that won a World Series, and you haven't paid me yet? You haven't given me, you haven't put a a deal on the table that me and my agent find agreeable and acceptable. How, how is that even possible? What, 
If I'm Chris Bryant, I might be looking around and going, at what level do I need to perform for you guys to pay me? Because and I know I know there's a camp of Cubs fans who who don't want to pay Chris Bryant, who feel that he hasn't lived up to potential or expectations and might even call him a bust. But if 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 you're being sensible and real about this thing, Chris Bryant has never not lived up to expectations when he was healthy. A healthy Chris Bryant is a very good Chris Bryant and one of the best baseball players in this league. Top five, at worst, top ten player in this league when Chris Bryant is right. And he's showing you that right now. And despite we all knowing that, anybody who knows baseball and is looking at this from a sensible angle and perspective, despite we all seeing what Chris Bryant is when he's healthy, and putting together a Rookie of the Year MVP campaign and leading a team to a World Series, you still haven't put something down that makes him happy? Or Anthony Rizzo, who's been the rock and the cornerstone and the face of this franchise and and the calming presence and the leader in that clubhouse, he hasn't seen a deal that makes him happy? I might be ready to go if I was one of those guys. I might might have one foot out the door if I'm one of those guys. And if you've ever been somewhere where you have one foot out the door, you're not giving your best effort. You're not reaching your maximum potential. So that, that's a great point by Joanne. I was just looking at it at, from a point of view that, you know, maybe these guys are, are, are happy working here, but just not reaching full potential because of this cloud of uncertainty hanging. I didn't even consider that. Maybe they're ready to be done with it. Maybe they're ready to get out. I don't know. Speaking of Chris Bryant, right after this, Mike Bryant, his dad, had a really good conversation with uh, Bernstein and Rahimi. We'll bring you some of that right after this. It's hit and run. I'm Rami Makhlouf, in for Matt Spiegel, and back right after this on 670 The Score. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.